Just a small note on that, that hymn that we were just singing. That third verse traditionally is sung at Beth's bedsides in a person's last hours during the commendation of the dying. And I've heard, it hasn't happened with me, but I've heard stories of pastors that as the person breathed their last breath, they were singing, Lord, let at last thine angels come to Abram's bosom, bear me home. Such beautiful words in the last moments of one's life. But anyways, the text for the sermon this day is taken from John 3.16, which I hopefully you all know it. If not, you need to go back to confirmation or you got to get to confirmation soon. So the Lord. So that is a text. So grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As I mentioned, John 3.16, it is the text, it's a verse that most of us probably knows by heart. In fact, let's just do it. For? Uh, see? Now granted, some of you, I know there's slight minor variations in the translations, but, for the most part, we all have it. But as well as that verse is known, how much do we actually think about it? Now just break up that verse. For God so loved the world. First, we have to look at that word so. In, when we read that, we think, oh, God must love us so much, which he does, but that's not what the verse is saying. The word actually is better translated, for God loved us this way. For this way, God loved the world. This is how, in other words, this is where, so Jesus is about to tell you not only how much God loves you, he's telling you exactly how he loved you. How he loved the world. And think about it. Who is the world? The world is every person that ever has or ever will be created, ever will be born. People who, who have lived in God's world and ruined it, broken it, destroyed it. It's the people who are constantly protesting against one another. 
It's the people who see others in need and do nothing. Which, by the way, I don't know if you've ever read Luther, but according to Luther, in the large catechism, if you see somebody who is in need of clothing or food, and you don't give it to them, and when you could, according to Luther, you are guilty of murder. Because you're telling that person, I'd rather you freeze or starve to death than give up whatever I've got. We the people, we are the people of the world who belittle others. Whenever we see a person struggling in one way or another, we are quick to stand up and say, ha, at least I don't struggle that way. And so we want to elevate ourselves and make us feel just a little bit better. We love to feel high and mighty. We love to break others down. We love to tell, we like to say things to people to their face or maybe behind their back about what our opinions of them. Tearing down their reputation. We are the people, the world is also the one for who these people, this world that God is sending, that, that God loved, is also a world that is ungrateful. They are ungrateful for the incredible blessings that he has poured upon us. Do you have a home? Do you have clothing? From the looks of it, all of you do, fortunately. You have eyes, ears. You have, you have family, you have friends. You, I, I'd say most Americans are pretty well fed. We have so many blessings. And how, how quickly we are to complain. To be like the the people in the wilderness who complained at Moses saying, all we've got is this lousy manna. We're sick of it. We, like them, are ready to complain about the blessings we have. And the very thing that, the very way that our God loved us, he knows that we would be ungrateful about that. I mean, how many of us honestly take the chance to tell people about our faith? We tell ourselves, well, our faith is just between me and God. We don't need to tell anybody else about it. Did you notice how Peter took that idea on Pentecost? Oh, no, he didn't. Yeah, I just, I just pulled no, he didn't moment there. On, I, that was on the fly, but he didn't. He got up in front of thousands of people who could have him stoned to death and told them that they crucified Jesus and he was incredibly offensive, but he preached the gospel to thousands of unbelievers. And I'm going to let you on a secret. If they played our game of, well, our faith is just between us and God, None of you would be here. 
Instead, 3,000 people came to faith in a single day. Hopefully, for those of you who are going through that Acts Bible study on Wednesday morning, hopefully you start that sinking in a little bit, the way the church is supposed to operate. In fact, I don't know if you've heard about this, but there is a barn about 30 miles away from here where they send out about 100 missionaries around the world. It's called Mission Central. Raise your hand if you've been to Mission Central. That's not very many hands given how close we all are. That is honestly an awesome, awesome place. If you go into the cafeteria where everybody eats, you will see a sign take, reading from Acts where Jesus tells them to go to the very ends of the earth, proclaiming the gospel, going to Judea, going from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the very ends of the earth. But we don't do that. If you, want, if you go on Facebook, I just posted a little thought. On average, just kind of a rough estimate, we have about 250 people in our three services every weekend. Now, Ida Grove has 2,100 people. If just one of you, if every one of you invited one person to church every week, a different person, you realize it would only take eight weeks to tell everybody in town, hypothetically speaking, you actually have a really easy job considering how many people we have compared to how many are in our mission field. People in Des Moines or wherever would love to have that odds. We come up with all the reasons why to complain about the way that we get God's message. Now, it's one thing that we should complain when false teaching is preached. But I'm talking about when we complain that we don't get the music we want. We don't get the hymns we want. Even though those hymns are wonderfully proclaiming God's word to us. We're saying, ah, I don't like God's word in that fashion. I decide how God's word comes to me. That's really what we're doing. These, this is the world that our God who created it, this is the world that he loved. An ungrateful world. And how did he love them? By sending, not a prophet, not, a, not an apostle, not an angel or an archangel. He didn't send a doctor or a lawyer or a politician, or a king, well, an earthly king, or prince, or earthly prince, he sent his very best, his one and only son. And when we say he sent his one and only son, we do not mean that he sent his one and only son to preach words of condemnation, because that's what we deserve. He did not send his son just to preach a thumping good sermon. He sent his son to be born 
of a virgin, of a teen, young teenage girl, 13 to 15 years old, to grow up in poverty for the first th several years of his life. He sent him to preach, he did indeed preach, he did indeed perform miracles, but he was rejected. His friends, his closest friends, they abandoned him. Denied, Peter denied that he even knew who Jesus was. Judas betrayed him. His religious leaders spat on him and struck him in the face. His political leaders beat him, tortured him humiliated him endlessly. And then they drove nails deep into his feet and into his hands. That is what it means when we say that God sent his son. I mean, how many of you, those of you who have children, raise your hand if you have children. How many of you would let, your child, would let your child die that your enemy may live? That's what it means when we say, for God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish. When I say perish, I don't mean physical death. I'm talking about eternal death. Because account of our sin, we deserve that place we don't like to talk about, hell. Where there is pain, torment, no happiness, no joy, no laughter. Where you are so desperately hungry that even a maggot looks good. You're so thirsty that those little flakes of snow look tempting. That is what we deserve. But because God so loved you, he sent his son to die on the cross that whoever believes in him should not perish the pangs of hell, but instead will have eternal life. That means instead of being in the prison of hell, you are in God's house. In my Father's house are many, not rooms. Our new translations weaken it. Rooms don't sound that great. If you want to go to a place that's got a lot of rooms, there's a hospital right down the road. There's a lot of rooms there, and there's a lot of rooms at the nursing homes and at the, the assisted livings. No. You get many mansions. Not many of us have a mansion all to ourselves. That is what God has in store for you. A mansion where you will never hunger. You will never thirst. There's no tears, no scorching heat, no bitter cold. You don't have to worry about, think about shoveling snow in the morning like you're thinking about probably tomorrow, that 
is what that verse is. God so loved you that he sent his son to die on the cross that you wouldn't go to hell, but that you would have eternal life. That is a blessing beyond measure. And we as Christians, do you know why we're not there yet? Because there are people that don't believe. There are people in, who in their unbelief are perishing. That's why you're here. To tell people of just how much their God loves them. Therefore, go, do it, until he returns. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep in the one true faith to life everlasting. Amen. We continue with the singing of the next hymn.